0: We are continuing in our series in Acts. Um, I will be reading from Acts chapter 5, verse 20 through 23. So if you want to take a moment to open up there, I'm going to give us a little bit of a, I guess in a sense, backstory to this certain point. Not going to be a lot, but it's just going to explain where we're at. Um, The apostles were going around, and they were healing people, they were teaching them, they were doing deliverance for those who needed it, and they were bringing restoration to lives. And in that moment, the high priest and his associates saw what was going on. And they were filled with jealousy and resentment towards the apostles. So they took the apostles and they put them in jail. During the middle of the night, while the apostles were in jail, an angel appeared. And that's where we're picking up. Pretty short and sweet to it. Starting in verse 20. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, this is the angel, and tell the people all about this new life. Verse 21, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began teaching the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. Verse 22, but on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the door, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Side note before I get started into into this, I thought it was very interesting that the angel did tell them to go back to the temple, but it was at daybreak that the apostles came to the temple courts, I find it interesting to me that the high priest and his associates didn't notice that the apostles are teaching in the court. It's funny, but that's just a side note, and I'll get back to some of that later. But I thought it was interesting there. Um, This morning, I want to break down this portion of Scripture, but in order to do that, we need to fully understand the different pieces that are in this. One, because I like knowing context. And two, it helps us to understand what we're really reading here. So first off, I wanna explain what these different groups are. How many of you know who the apostles are? Yes? Okay, well if you don't, good morning for you. I'm going to teach you. The apostles were the leadership of the early church. They were the ones who taught the people about what Jesus spoke. The apostles were also the disciples that followed Jesus. They were his 12 disciples. Peter, John, James, Andrew, I can continue in the list. That's who uh, who the apostles were in this moment. Now, I said a word in here, I don't know if any of you picked it up, but do you guys know what the Sanhedrin is? Okay? The Sanhedrin, I'm going to explain very simply, was a group... That was, connect, that was the Jewish leadership, essentially. They helped make the judicial decisions. They helped create laws. They helped guide the Jewish people. I'll get a little bit more into them in a minute. This, uh, actually, I guess I can go into that now. Never mind. The Sanhedrin was made up of about 72 people, one of them being the high priest. The rest of the members were made up of a group called the Pharisees, And the Sadducees, this is going to be a little bit of a history lesson for you guys, so keep up with me. Um, Sometimes the Sanhedrin was also referred to as the Council of Elders. I'm going to explain now the breakdown between these two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were supposed to be a living example to the Jewish people of how to live a holy life. They were there to help them. And so they played their part, but the other group is the one that I'm going to be specifically focusing on today. The Sadducees. The Sadducees were a group of people that were there put in place in order to guide the Jewish people with the judicial system, with Roman law, with the political system of the day. And they were there as that position. Side note with this as well. The Sanhedrin, they were also the group that brought Jesus to the Roman official in order for him to be crucified. This is the same group that is now approaching the apostles. This is the same group that had put the apostles in jail. It's important to remember that as we continue. But specifically in this portion of Scripture, it's referring to the high priest and his associates. Do you guys know who his associates were? It was the Sanhedrin. Or not Sanhedrin, Sadducees. Words. You know, start with an S. It was the Sadducees. They were jealous and resentful of the fact that they were doing something. That they were performing in power. That they were going around healing, teaching, delivering people from demons, bringing freedom to lives that they had been so bound up in. It was rest. They were bringing restoration to lives that were broken. And they found resentment and jealousy in them. They were angry at them. Can you guys tell me why? I'm one of those thinkers, and I like to really process through when I'm reading but why would these people be so jealous? We can give a surface-level answer, but I don't believe that gives us justice. I don't believe that really digs into the heart of the situation that was going on. Because if you look into who the Sadducees were, you start to realize there is so much in who they are that connects to us today. They are a physical sign of some of the issues that we have today. I'm going to start us off with my first point. Knowledge without God is empty. You won't get anything from it. And this is reflected through the Sadducees. The Sadducees were people, like I said, who were strongly connected to the political system in that day. They held positions of power and authority based on what man gave. And you know the interesting thing? They had some things that were a little backwards in what they believed. You guys remember what group the Sadducees were connected to? They were Jews. Right? It was the Jewish council that got Got together to make a decision. They were Jewish people. The Jewish people had their scripture, which was the Old Testament in that day. Do you guys remember anything in the Old Testament that was kind of crazy? Like God sending some plagues in order to free his people? Or maybe guiding them with fire at night and a cloud of smoke? Or, how about providing them with food or water and shelter in a circumstance that they felt like they couldn't make it? How about whenever they go and they fought some, some enemies in the past, gave some of the strangest battle orders, march around the walls, and on the seventh day, do it seven times and then yell. I want to bring this to our memory because the Sadducees were the descendants of those same Jewish people. But they had some messed up beliefs. They had the same scripture, but they did not believe some of the basics of that scripture. For instance, they didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in heaven. They didn't believe in hell. They didn't believe in miracles, angels or demons. They were the descendants of the Jewish people who saw God perform miracles. They saw incredible things. But somehow along the way, they got to the point to where they stopped believing it. It was the same word, it was the same teaching. But they stopped believing what that teaching said. In fact, they got so much to the point to where Jesus came around. And he was going around healing the sick, performing miracles, giving freedom to those who needed it. And they didn't believe that it was possible. And so whenever you have something, an evidence that is brought before you that you can't justify or make reason to, they try to remove it from the situation. The Sadducees had lost their honor of the Scriptures, and they forgot about the truth it holds. And this is evidenced by something Jesus spoke to them. And this is in Matthew 22, verse 29. And it says, Jesus replied, You are in error. That word error means led astray, deceived. Because you do not know. That word, or that phrase, do not know, refers to knowing, remembering, or appreciating the Scriptures or the power of God. Somehow in between them being in the wilderness and the desert, And where it was in Jesus' day, they lost their appreciation. They lost the knowledge of what it truly meant to believe the Word of God and to believe His power. It's interesting to me, too, because it reminds me of something here in America. You guys remember back whenever the country was started? Obviously, we weren't there, but you know the history books. Why'd they come to America? They wanted religious freedom. They wanted to be able to worship God freely. What is our Constitution based on? Godly principles. So many of the early foundation of what we have here in America is so much based on Scripture. Not only that, but if you're wanting to look for evidence of God displaying His power in that time, look at the Revolutionary War. We were some tiny little area. We did not have an organized military the same as England. But yet somehow, there were a bigger force, more naval fleets, and all this other power, but somehow we had God's favor. And that changed the outcome of the war. I know this is a bit of a history lesson. But look at us today. What do they teach in our universities? What do they teach in schools? The foundations of Scripture have been ripped out. They want nothing to do with it. And instead, they forsake something that was holy for something they thought had more value and more power. You see, just like today, with where our society is going, the Sadducees had a strong emphasis on worldly knowledge, science, philosophy, learning. Those things aren't bad. Those are incredible things. But somehow, through their learning, they encountered something in in this world that didn't quite fit with the way they thought things should be. Scripture started to look a little different to them because they didn't understand it compared to understanding something they could see, feel, taste, touch. They started putting more emphasis on this world and understanding the laws and the nature that we have here. Not because those are just purely good things. But eventually, as they continued to learn, they started to develop something that said, I don't need a God who I can't see who I can't feel, and I can't touch, and I can't encounter. Somewhere along that line, they started looking at where they were and what they had learned and said, I'm good. That's pride. And slowly that pride overwhelmed them and consumed them. Can you see that today? An increase in knowledge that has led to people being proud in their own eyes? It's easy to see. And if you're not seeing it, you're not looking very hard. But I believe along with what the Sadducees were going through, I believe there was another attributing factor That affected and made it to where they were in the situation they were in. In that day, why were they putting the apostles in prison? Because they were healing. They were doing things they couldn't explain with their natural knowledge. They were fighting against it. And we can see, as history continues, how often in churches today do we hear of someone getting healed? Because with the apostles, it was every day. Every day, they were bringing people through deliverance. They were setting the captives free. How often do we see that today? Could it be that we stopped taking the evidence, the power, the love, and the character of God, and we stopped displaying it for the world to see? Could that be a part of what's going on? I believe there's a couple of things that contribute to that. One, the church, in a lot of ways, has gotten prideful as well. You want me to give you an example? Don't take me out of context here, but just listen and receive what I'm saying. We say, we have good doctors. We have doctors who are incredibly intelligent. We have all this technology. Why would we need a God who heals if I can just go to a doctor? Why would I need to go and see about having these nagging thoughts that are aching at my mind, tearing me apart, hurting me, causing me so much pain and suffering? Feel like I'm living a lie in my own skin, that I'm torn between so many different things, that I'm bound up and I can't get free. I can just take some medication. That'll fix it. They don't need a God who can bring freedom to them when they have that. So much easier to be able to put your trust into something you can see, taste, touch. So much easier to do that here instead of a God who's invisible. So much of the world And the church doesn't think God's close to them. Another reason, could it possibly be that the church today doesn't live in the character God's called them to and given them, and instead they're living in fear? Let me give you an example. If someone is sick, You see them there. I know from my mind, I have a couple of things that pass through it. God may be calling me to do this, but if I go up to them and I pray for them and they don't get healed, I'm going to feel real stupid. I'm going to feel real dumb. You know, that's pride too. Arrogance to think that if God's called you to do something and he has it in his word that he has given you everything you need to do what he's called you to do. You guys picking up what I'm putting down here? Okay. (coughs) Excuse me. So much of what we see with the story of the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and the high priest with the apostles reflects so heavily on what we see today, not only in the world, but also in our churches. The evidence is clear. And God has made it so much, He's made it so much easier for us to live life according to what he's called us to. Something we have to understand, though, is no matter where we're at, no matter what place we live in life, the only way we're going to live a life that is honoring to God is we need to understand that knowledge and position in and of itself can never replace the power of God and his character in our lives. We know that the apostles were going around healing, delivering, helping those who needed it. And they were showing not only the power of God by doing that. God displaying his power to the world and to us is not just simply about someone being free. It's also about showing the world and the people and the churches God's character showing who he is to a world that doesn't know him so much of this world thinks that he's a terrible cruel person but yet whenever you go into someone who thinks that way and they're suffering they are suffering from stage 4 cancer but in that moment god can take it and remove every bit of it every bit of the cancer how does that work in their mindset How can they have the thought that God is cruel, but yet he just took this away? So much of what God does for us isn't just for that situation or whatever the problem is. Whenever God acts in power, he challenges our beliefs. He challenges our preconceived ideas of who he is. Because whenever he goes and he heals, he shows his heart of compassion for those who are hurting. He shows that he's a compassionate God. Whenever he leads people to people who need deliverance and they receive it, they're showing those people, I am a God of freedom. I'm a God who doesn't want you to be bound up in the mistakes and your shame and your guilt. He goes to a situation that's broken. Someone who's hurting, like the woman at the well. And he speaks restoration and wholeness over that person. Whenever God displays its power, it's to show the world his true nature. And we at the church forget that. Sometimes I think we get caught up In the fact that we have so much going on, there's so much excitement, the revivals were great. But are we so focused on the outcome, the results, that we forget that it's not based on us. It's not just simply about how they received something, but instead, how we were able to lead them to the one who can give them everything they need. And this is something that God has challenged me with, especially in my thought life, in this specific area I'm about to bring to you. Because most of the time, as I'm living my life and I'm going through my day, someone or something will do something that upsets me or offends me in some way. Some, yes, Seth, you. You right there. Sometimes there's people at my work that frustrate me, that drive me nuts. The apostles, the Sadducees, if you didn't know, if you weren't thinking clearly. You'd think that they were the apostles' enemy. But you remember whenever Jesus went to the cross and he was sitting up there suffering and he said from the midst of his pain that people had put him through, says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Jesus went to the cross For the Sadducees. For those people that thought worldly knowledge. That this world here was everything there was. In today's culture, did you know that a lot of the people who think that way strongly oppose Christianity? Christ went to the cross for them. And what God has been challenging me with is in those moments where someone irritates me or says something that's rude or mean or whatever it may be, I have to question my heart. Because naturally, I want to be upset, I want to be angry at them. But then I start thinking. You know, Jesus went to the cross for them as much as he did me. It's not just simply that they're angry or upset against me. But they've been fed a lie. They believe something that they thought was true. How can I have such cruelty and anger in my heart? towards someone that Jesus thought was worthy for Him to die for. And in those moments, God prompts me to think about these things. Sometimes, we need to stop looking at these people who are so opposed to us as our enemy, and instead look at them the same way Christ did that even as you're hurting me, I forgive you. Those people are not our enemies. They're broken, hurting people who are trying to make sense of a life that is painful. You know one of the best ways we can show them God's character and His love for them? By being who he's called us to be. Because Jesus said that I've got to go. But I'm going to give you my spirit. That spirit that Christ had is the same spirit that we have today. The spirit that gave him the ability to bring deliverance, healing, freedom. So many things to a world who needed it. You want to know what the world can't argue with? Is evidence that is solid, that doesn't fit in the way they see it, that doesn't fit in their mind frame, in their worldview. Whenever we start living our lives as a vessel, allowing ourselves to carry the authority and the power that He has already given us, when we receive that, then we can show the world who God is. We can be an example not only in the way we live, but through the power that He gives us to bring freedom to others. As we continue in this story we'll be able to see the apostles' response. But I guarantee you this. No matter what the Sadducees, the Pharisees, or anybody else says, whenever they have someone brought before them and they say, I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. How do you discredit that?